you know, if you open up the, the if you want to see how prevalent evil is, and, and if you want to see the influence of evil in the world today, just look, open up the newspaper, right? You open up the newspaper and you're going to read of uh, shootings or stabbings or, or robberies or whatever. You turn on the news. You're going to see the influence of evil in our society and in the world today, right? Today in our passage, we're going to go to 2 Samuel and we're going to see a little bit of influence in this passage. The influence of evil, the influence of Satan in our passage today. 2 Samuel chapter 24, verses 1 through 4, and I'm going to skip the verses 10 through 14, and it's the New Living Translation. I titled this message, Overcoming Guilt and Shame. But we're going to be talking about guilt, we're going to be talking about pride, we're going to be talking about comparison, how we shouldn't compare. So, hear the word of the Lord. Once again, the anger of the Lord burned against Israel. <laughs> you know, no surprise, right? Once again, once again they stumbled. But how often has God been said that to us? You know, oh, there you go again, stumbling again. Once again, we messed up, right? But once again, the Lord's anger burned against Israel. And he caused David to harm them by taking a census. Go and count the people of Israel and Judah, the Lord told him. So the king said to Joab, the commander's, and the commanders of the army. Take a census of all the tribes of Israel, from Dan in the north to Beersheba in the south, so I may know how many people there are. But Joab replied to the king, May the Lord your God let you live to see a hundred times as many people as there are now. But why, my lord, the king, do you want to do this? But the king insisted, that they take the census. So Joab and the commanders of the army went out to count the people of Israel. So Joab, he is the head commander of the army. He would be like our secretary of defense in today's world. That's what Joab was. So there wouldn't be too many people that would question the king. When the king says to do something, you just do it. But he questioned it. Why, my king? Why do you want to do this thing? Joab knew it was wrong. That's why he questioned it. He knew it, and he had the ability, or the, the guts, if you will, to question the king. But the king insisted, so when the king says, people do. What he says goes, right? So we're going to skip the part where they go out and count all the, the people, and from each region it tells how many. We're going to jump to verse 10. But after he had taken the census, David's conscience began to bother him. And he said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly by taking this census. Please forgive my guilt, Lord, for doing this foolish thing. The next morning the word of the Lord came to the prophet Gad, who was David's seer. This was the message. Go and say to David, this is what the Lord says. I will give you three choices. Choose one of these punishments, and I will inflict it on you. So Gad came to David and asked him, Will you choose three years of famine throughout your land, or three months of fleeing from your enemies, or three days of severe plague throughout your land? Think this over and decide what answer I should give the Lord who sent me. 
David says, I am in a desperate situation, David replied to Gad, but let us fall into the hands of the Lord, for His mercy is great. Do not let me fall into human hands. May God add His blessings to the hearing and the reading of His holy word. And let us pray. Father God, we do praise You and thank You for Your presence in our lives. Father, I thank You that You are patient with us when we stumble and when we make mistakes. I thank You, Father God, for Your mercy. And Father, though there's a lot happening in this passage, we can see Your mercy in it. And Father, we just thank You that You are merciful and gracious towards us. And Father, I just pray that Your truth and Your words will be spoken today, Father. Open our hearts to receive what You have for us. And Father God, may we overcome guilt and fear and shame and pride and all those things in our lives. Father, help us to worship You with true hearts. Help us to be faithful to You, Lord God, in all of our ways and for Your glory. In Jesus' name, Amen. So David calls for Joab to go out and take a census. So I'm not sure how long a census would take, but they took the census. So as soon as it's done, he begins feeling guilty, knowing that he shouldn't have done this thing. So he goes from counting the people, how many people's in, in the land, to all of a sudden, here comes his seer, and he says, you're going to be punished. There's going to be punishment. So now you get to choose. Kids, have your parents ever let you choose their punishment when you've done wrong? Yeah, yeah. Got to choose it. How about you little ones? You've never got to choose your punishment? Imagine. Three years of famine. So David, you know, now he knows how many people there are. So is he figuring in his head, all right, three years of famine. I wonder how many people while I'm losing that famine. Well, you know, we could go to distant lands and we might find some bread there. But, boy, I don't know. I could lose, I might lose 100,000 people. So there were three months of fleeing from their enemy. That wouldn't be no fun either, right? Or three days of severe plague. So David says, I know that my God is merciful. Whatever He deems will be. But don't let me fall into the hands of man. What a wise decision. 70,000 people lost their lives in them three days because of that severe plague. Probably was the best, well, I know it was the best thing for him to do, to put it in, the God, put it in God's hands. Three days, 70,000 people died to the plague. I read what comes after that, and David, again, listened to the Lord, and Gad went to see him again. He said, go and build an altar and seek forgiveness from the Lord. So he goes to, I can't remember the name of the guy, he goes and says, I'd like to purchase your mill and your field and want to build an altar to the Lord. And the guy says, I'll give it to you. And David says, no, no, no. I'm going to buy it because I'm not going to sacrifice to the Lord that which cost me nothing. So he sought the forgiveness of the Lord and God relented and stopped the plague upon the people. Guilt. You know, guilt, it's a fact of life. When we do something wrong or commit some kind of offense, we will feel guilty, right? You know, when a person is guilty, in our society today, it's the prosecution's duty to prove a person's guilt because we're supposed to be innocent until proven guilty, right? It doesn't always work that way, but it's the way it's supposed to be. 
But whenever we feel guilty, why do we feel guilty? Because we have disobeyed our parents, or we've broken the law, or we have fallen short on some obligation that we committed to do, we will feel guilty about it, right? So, anybody with a conscience, at some point in their lives, have felt guilty. Has anybody here never felt guilt? Right. I think we've all felt guilty at some point or another. Even these little ones, right? Nah, you just don't feel guilty. You've never done anything wrong, right? But you know what often causes us the guilt? What gets us in trouble the most? These tongues, don't they? We open our mouths and we say the wrong thing, or we put somebody down, or we hurt somebody, then we're going to feel guilty about it. If we could control these tongues, we probably wouldn't experience near as much guilt, would we? But we have a hard time controlling these little things, right? I found an illustration about guilt by Ann Graham Lotz. Many of the newer model cars today, of course, probably most all of them today, are equipped with an anti-theft alarm system, right? And the more sensitive ones can be very annoying out in the general public because some of them are so sensitive, even if the wind blows hard, there are the, the horns are blowing, the alarm's going off, and you come out and you're like, oh, that's my car, you're trying to get the alarm off. It's very embarrassing, right? So, but the purpose of these obnoxious things is to keep unwanted entry into your car, to keep people out of your car that you don't want in there, right? Well, God has built into each of us an alarm system. It is an anti-sin alarm to warn us of the unwanted entry of sin into our lives. The alarm system is called guilt. Guilt can be our friend, right? Think about that a second. Guilt can be our friend. Without it, we would go on sinning until we were dominated and defeated by sin. In our pleasure-seeking, anything-goes, feel-good society, guilt is strongly disliked. We run from it, but we can't rid ourselves of it. The only thing that can wash away our sin and guilt before God is the blood of Jesus Christ. So guilt is our alarm system. It can be a good thing. I want to look back to 2 Samuel. In verse 1, it said that the anger of the Lord burned against Israel, and He caused David to harm them by taking a census. Now clearly the sin was, which caused the guilt was the taking of the census. Do you really think that God caused him? That God caused David to, cause, to do this sin? That God actually caused David to do this census? No. God does not cause people to sin. He does not cause people to sin. Now, He allows sinners to sin because of the sin that's already in them. You follow me? He doesn't put it in there, but He might step back and allow that sinful thought or nature in you to be revealed by your actions that sin that's already stored up in there. He doesn't put that sin in there. James 1, 13 and 14 says, Let no one say that when he is tempted, that I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does He Himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away 
by his own desires and enticed. So that desire was already in David's heart. God didn't put it there. It was already there. All God had to do was allow it. I know the word said he made David do it, but it was already there. He just allowed that to happen. He allows us to have the freedom to choose, right? And sometimes we choose wrong. I've chosen wrong before. David chose wrong. We do choose wrong. He allows Satan to whisper in our ears, to entice us. There is a scripture that backs up, that reveals who the culprit was. In 1 Chronicles 21, verses 1 and 2, it says, Now Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel. Very clear. Satan stood up against Israel and moved David. So Satan is the one that put the sin in his heart to number Israel. So David said to Joab and to the leaders of the people, Go and number Israel from Beersheba to Dan, and bring the number of them to me that I may know it. It's very clear who the culprit was. The same one that whispers those things that we shouldn't do into our ears. But we have to stand against it. In the name of Jesus Christ. So what tool did did the devil use to cause David to do this sin? Because really, you think about it. To take a census, come on. Now that doesn't really seem like a great evil, does it? To take a census of the people to see how many there are. In the book of Numbers, the Lord commanded a census to prepare an army to conquer the promised land. So therefore, a census in and of itself is not always a wrong thing to do. It's not always a bad thing. There are many reasons why a nation will take up a census. And a couple reasons that our nation will take up a census. For one, that will help determine how many uh, seats in the House of Representatives each state will get. It will determine how much federal money your state may get when they take up a census. And I know this isn't real spiritual, but it is facts and it, it helps here to show that a census is not always a bad thing. It's not always an evil thing. The only way to understand whether a thing is a sin or not a sin is to determine the cause of it. Why? Why did David want to take up the census? It wasn't to prepare an army because they were experiencing a time of peace. So it wasn't so they could gather the army together and know how many they had. The reason for the census so that it was so that David could glory in the size of his nation. That he could glory in the size of his army. Did you get that? His army. So he could say, oh, look how great and large my nation is. Look how great my army, how powerful my army is. That was the reason for his census. That's why the census was a sin. Because that thing rose up in him called pride. Boy, you are on top of it today. Pride. Pride was a sin. Pride is probably the most commonly used snare of the devil. Hear me. Pride is probably the most commonly used. I didn't find that from some commentary. It's probably the most commonly used snare. Because I'm telling you, has anyone never had pride rise up in them? All right, I didn't figure I'd see any hands go up again. No. Even godly people struggle with pride. All the time. 
we always have to be on our defense against pride. And it's so difficult to define the pride that may come. Because listen to me, there is good pride, but there's also bad pride. Now, what is good pride? I'm going to define good pride. And since I've already used an illustration, a Graham Lotz, from using a car, we're going to use cars again. So let's just say you're driving down the road, Barbara, going home from church. Your car, all of a sudden you hear a clunk and a bang and the smoke rolls out of the tailpipe and smoke's rolling out from under the hood. Your car just blew up. It just dropped a piston. Now some of you are saying, what's a piston? Just, believe, just understand it's very important in your car because without your piston, the engine is not going to run. It's very bad. So you take your car down to the garage, and they got a couple mechanics there. And this one mechanic takes a lot of pride in his work, a lot of pride. Whenever he takes your car in there, he's going to tear it apart. When he goes to put it back together, he's going to make sure that every part is cleaned and miked and it's to the specs. When he goes to putting it back together, he's going to get his torque wrench out. He's going to torque every single bolt to make sure it's to perfection. When you look at his work bay there in the garage, all the, the wrenches are nice and orderly. The screwdrivers are in another drawer, nice and orderly. Everything's clean and neat. He takes great pride in his work and great pride in making sure that your car is going to run well when he's done working on it. Then there's the other mechanic. We'll call him Messy Marvin. When you look at his work bay, there's old parts laying around probably that he forgot to put on the car before. You look in his toolbox, everything just thrown in there in a mess. When he goes to work and on your car, when he goes putting, who needs a torque wrench? Ah, uh, uh, this is close enough. He's only interested in getting the job done, getting his pay, and it may run okay and it may not. Which one do you want to work on your car? The one that takes pride in his work? Well, of course. So, friends, there is a good pride. Pride, taking pride in what we do for our employers or for what we do for God. But there's a good pride, but there is also a bad pride. Right? There's a bad pride. Here's where the bad pride comes in. When we measure our goals and our achievements against someone else. Yeah. I'm guilty. Come on, have we ever done that? Well, I'm a better painter than him. I'm going to pick on myself. I may have used this before. I don't know. But working with a guy at work, you know, I've painted for, well, I'm not painting anymore, but I'd painted for 39 years. So, I mean, I should have been good at it, right? I mean, if I wasn't, shame on me. But, you know, say if you're painting something, you know, I usually would nice and even and nice straight strokes. Well, another guy, he's like, <laughs> he's all over the place. And, you know, I'm just like, oh, my goodness. I can't already stand this. <laughs> Watching him, you know. But I shouldn't have been comparing myself to anyone else. We should, you know, well, I'm a better teacher than that teacher down the hall. I'm a better secretary than that other secretary over in that corner. Or I'm a better mechanic than that other guy. Yeah, maybe they are. But the sin comes when the pride wells in up, up in us and when we compare ourselves to the other. That is sin. That is pride. 
the pride that we should not have. Yes, we should do the best that we can do with the abilities that God gave us, but not look down and build ourselves up in front of others. That's sin. That pride is bad. That pride is sin. The pride of comparison. So I hope when you leave today, you'll have a different mindset about comparison. Maybe you don't struggle with that. Hopefully you don't. But don't compare yourself with others. Just do the best you can. Be the best you can for God with the talents and the abilities that He has given you. For His glory, not your own. Proverbs 11.2 says, When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with humility comes wisdom. After David's prideful act, verse 10 said, David's conscience began to bother him, and he said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly by taking the census. Please forgive my guilt, Lord, for doing this foolish thing. You know, just as with pride, there's good pride and bad pride, there are times when guilt is good and times when guilt is bad. The same with pride. When we have an unrepented sin in our lives, God can use guilt to help us see our need for repentance. So you see, guilt can be good. God used guilt in the lives of Joseph's brothers. In Genesis 42, 21 and 22, Then they said to one another, We are truly guilty concerning our brother, for we saw his ang- the anguish of his soul when he pleaded with us, and we would not hear. Therefore, this distress has come upon us. And Rupert answered them and saying, Did I not speak to you saying, Do not sin against a boy? And you would not listen. Therefore, behold, his blood is now required of us. I'm sure that most remember the story. Joseph, the next to the youngest son of Israel, had visions and dreams. And he would share these visions and dreams to his older brothers. Visions that they would bow down to him. Well, they didn't want to hear that. So, just a very abbreviated part of this story. They sold him into slavery. At first they intended to kill him, but one brother talked him out of that, and they sold him to slavery. He became second only to Pharaoh in Egypt. So there was a day when his brothers did bow down to him. But here, they have that guilt and shame for what they have done to their brother. God can use guilt to cause us to see that we need to repent, feel sorry for what we've done. Then there's bad guilt. This is the kind that we as believers need to overcome. Bad guilt, friends, is that ball and chain that we keep dragging around rendering us weak and ineffective for the service of God and the service of others. Because we just can't seem to let go of that past sin. We just, we'll, we'll come to the altar, we'll, go pick, we'll get up and we'll take that ball and chain with us. We'll keep dragging it along. We're guilty. Oh, I'm so bad, God can't forgive me. That sin was just so bad, I just can't be forgiven. I can't get past it. We think we aren't good enough. We think that we'll never be good enough. We keep wallowing in our guilt and our shame, thinking that we can't be forgiven. That little voice keeps telling you, you aren't forgiven. 
You're a sinner. That's right. Satan is that little voice that keeps telling you, you can't be forgiven. You're not good enough. You'll never be good enough. You are unlovable. On and on and on. He wants you in distress and He wants you to doubt. Psalms 38, 1-4 says, O Lord, do not rebuke me in your wrath, nor chasten me in your hot displeasure. For your arrows pierce me deeply, and your hands press me down. There is no soundness in my flesh because of your anger, nor any health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. When we attempt to deal with our sin on our own, they are going to be over our head. They're going to be that ball and chain because we cannot deal with it on our own. We cannot face them on our own. We must take them to Him and accept His forgiveness. Isaiah 43.25 says, I, even I, am He who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Friends, God says, I will blot out your transgressions, and I will not remember your sins. So if we ask for forgiveness and God promises us that He will not remember them, why in the world do we remember them? Let them go. See, receive that word today. Let them go. If you're wallowing in guilt and shame, let it go. Because God wants to set you free. Hebrews 8, verses 7 through 12. For in, the, in that first covenant... No, let me back up. I read that wrong. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. Because finding fault with them, he says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that, that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they did not continue in my covenant, as I disregarded them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and write them, put my laws in their mind and write them in their hearts. And I will be their God and they will be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor and none his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to, the, to their... Yeah to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. Our God is a merciful God. He is a loving God. You know, one of the main themes at the conference was identity. Knowing who we are in Christ Jesus. That includes knowing the fullness of His forgiveness. That includes knowing the fullness of His righteousness. Because it is by His righteousness, not our own. And until we understand that, we won't be able to let go of that guilt and that shame. When we, until we know that it is His righteousness by which we are saved, by which we are set free. It is by Him that we are forgiven. Friends, we do not have to carry that ball and chain any longer. Let it go. Romans 8, verses 1 through 4. It says, There is therefore now, now, 
no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus had made me, has made me free from the law of sin and death. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus, for the law could not do what it could not do and that it was weak through the flesh. I can't read this morning. God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. On account of sin, He condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. We are not to walk according to the flesh, but walk in the Spirit. Allow His Holy Spirit to guide you, to comfort you, to give you strength, but allow that Spirit also to set you free. Set you free from guilt, set you free from shame. Because it's His righteousness he paid the price. Yes, there was a debt. There was a debt for our sin. There was a penalty for David's sin, for taking that census. 70,000 people lost their lives. There was a penalty for our sins, for my sin and your sin. But friends, Jesus Christ paid it. He paid it that we can be set free. No longer having to suffer with guilt and shame and thinking there's punishment coming. When He sets you free, you are free indeed. 1 John 1, 9, what's it say? If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Not just some of our unrighteousness, but all of it. Be free. Receive that freeness that God wants you to have so that you can enjoy peace in your life and that you can serve Him with all of your strength. Because when you're weighed down with that ball and chain, you cannot serve Him or others with all of your strength, with all of your heart, soul, and mind. So be set free. Amen?